Well, hello there, and welcome to this Calvary Longview audio message. We're so glad you've chosen to take a moment to discover with us the truth that can be found in the Bible, and we pray that you'll be blessed by what you hear. Today, Pastor Al is going to be sharing with us a message from Paul's letters to the Thessalonians. We can't wait to get into God's Word, so crack open your Bible, grab your note-taking tools, and we'll get started. Thessalonians, let's stand together. We're going to read. I'm going to back up and read. Well, I'm going to read our text today because I'll be covering some of this this morning. But I want to read our text that we left off at last week, beginning in verse 19. Paul the Apostle writing to the church of Thessalonica, and he says this, Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecy, test all things, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you as faithful, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. And I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. And, and Lord, we're so blessed that you have given us your word. We just plow through it every Sunday and every Wednesday. We're so excited for it. And your word is truth in the, in the world that we live in, whether truth is not often seen, not often heard, we know that we can come and rely upon your word to us. And so even this morning, Lord, would you open our ears and our hearts to receive your truths, Lord, for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So here's the Apostle Paul. I don't know if, if anybody, you remember in Sunday school, uh, you used to go to Sunday school and you'd get this uh, golden star for every week that you were there. And that, well, we've done that today. And so you're going to get an award for we know who has all been here. Every study through First Thessalonians. Just kidding. But, but here's Paul. He's writing this uh, letter to them. And then he's closing it off with a series of one-liners, as we mentioned. He's bringing encouragement to the church that is facing opposition. And basically the encouragement is how they should live their lives, what their lives should be lived like in the midst of a carnal world. So there's this, there's this way that you and I can live our lives, no matter what's going on out there in the world, no matter how bad it is, no matter how things how you know wretched things are, we still have the truths. We still have his word. We still have, uh, and he gives us the power to live our lives. And so we left off, as I mentioned, uh, in verses 11 through 18, where he encouraged the church of the things that they should do. These are the things that you should do. And now he's writing to them, uh, encouraging with the things that they're not to do. So that's pretty simple. And again, these are just like a bunch of one-line nuggets that we pick up and we, uh, we're, we're going to learn from them. We've been uh, gleaning from them. So look up verse 11 because I want to back up a little bit. He says this, and we urge you. Again, this is not a command of Paul. But, but as a brother who uh, so loves the body of Christ, he's not writing on his apostolic authority here. He's not commanding them to do this. He is encouraging them in such a, uh, to bring encouragement from a brother to a brother, from a brother to the family of God, because, uh, you know, here, these things are so important. And so he's saying to them, he says, we urge you, brethren, to recognize those things. These are the things that we are to do. Recognize those who lay, labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their, for their work's sake. Be at peace 
amongst yourselves. Verse 14, he says, now we exhort you, brethren. So again, not a command, but this is an exhortation. Because we're one family, we have a heavenly father, we're one unit. He says, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all, and see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is both uh, what is good both for yourselves and for all. And so again, he's encouraging this young church that uh, the, the way that they're to look at one another, not as they did out in the world. You know, we had an opinion out in the world. We looked at people and what they were going through in the world. We had a different assessment of them. But he says, now that you're in Christ, this is the way things should be. We're to look at one another through the lens of Scripture. We're to look at one another with the heart of God. And we're also to... As he says in verse 16, rejoice always. This is where we left off. Pray without ceasing. And in everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And so, you know, he's saying, if you want to know the will of God, spend some time here. And this is this a short list with a good start of things. He says, rejoice always. Always get in the habit of rejoicing. Even when you don't understand things are going on. He says, we sing, he's always working. He's always doing, you know, he's never stopped working. And so he says, pray without ceasing. In other words, don't stop praying. And he refers to this in our English language, just like this uh, hacking cough to where you can't get rid of. Well, don't ever get rid of prayer. Let your, may you continue to pray and pray without ceasing. And then in everything, he said, give thanks. And again, in Romans 8, 28, where we remember that we might un not understand the what's or the why's of what's going on in our lives. Why did this happen? What's going to happen? When is this going to take place? But he just said, in everything, give thanks. We know that God is still at work. We know that he hasn't stopped working. We know that he's still in, the, you know, where we can't explain it. He's still moving in our midst and around us and all that. And so we come to this place now, the things that we shouldn't do. Now, just as we should do some things and these things bring unity to our lives, there are some things that he tells the church. He says, these are some things that you shouldn't do. One-liners, but they have so much meat to them. And in verse 19, he says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. So don't quench the spirit. So even as we're born again, for all of you and hopefully everyone in here, they're born again. We've come to saving grace. We've accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior. There's still a great need that God wants to continue to work in you. He's not one and done. You know, it's just the way it is. You put a roof on your house, well, that might last for 30 years, but it's going to have to be changed. And there's all, oftentimes things that, that need to be changed. Nothing really lasts forever except for people in God's word. So everything needs to be redone or renewed or whatever it might be. And, and you and I, when he's talking about do not quench the spirit, though we may be born again, we need to still allow the Holy Spirit to have his way continually in our lives, changing us from that which we came. It's not, again, it's, it's, it's a work that God wants to do in our lives on a daily basis. And, you know, again, we've been sealed. Think of that stamp. Many of you guys and gals, you're sending out Christmas. I don't know if there's people sending I got a Christmas card yesterday. I thought it was pretty cool. But you don't see them much anymore, right? But what happens is you put a stamp on a letter and it's going to get to its de destination. And you and I, we're like that. We have this stamp upon our lives. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. We're going to be uh, in heaven one day. Well, th that's where that stamp or where that seal is going to take us will be in heaven. But then once we come to Christ, it's that at that time 
that the Lord begins to make the changes that he sees fit in each of our lives, right? I mean, you might, and I might think that everything's, <laughs> it's all right, it's cool. I'm okay, <laughs> what changes? But the Lord says, yeah, I'm, 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 you're here, and now we're going to work in your lives. And I, I'm sure that all of us have noticed that there's still some work in each of our lives that God needs to take place, right? That God needs to work on. Or am I the only one? Okay, I'm bearing my heart before you then. <laughs> I'm the one. I'm the example here. <laughs> but but there's there's the you know there's work that has to be accomplished and as we come to Christ, we're in Christ and then he continues that work and it's accomplished in us as the Holy Spirit works in us convicting us of the things that he desires that we should change or that shouldn't be in our lives. And the change comes as we yield to him. We yield that work Lord, whatever it is, just have your way in our lives. You know, I want to see what you see and what you see in my life. If we got, you ever heard that one person that will go to one person, they'll go to another person, and they'll go to another person, and they'll go to somebody else until they finally get the answer they're looking for? Well, it's one stop shopping with God. You know, we just go to Him and, like, what do you see in my life? And, you know, when we came in, okay, because this is about me, it's not about you. (laughs) When we come into this life with Christ, we have some pretty bad habits, right? We're messed up. And not only does he save us, and I love this about people because he saves us, but, but the ideas and the habits and the things that we brought into this life, those are the things that he scrutinizes or he takes under his light and he says, you know, I don't know about this. I don't know much about that. I, you know, there's some things that I may want to change in your life. And I think that it would be best if we change them because they're not going to do well with you in your new walk with Christ. They're not going to be part of that witness that you want to be to your children, to your grandchildren, and to the world, to your neighbors, your co-workers. They're just not going to help you in your marriage, and your parenting. They're not going to help you. And we're again, we think oftentimes, well, what's wrong with me? And the Lord says, well, it's, there's nothing wrong with you now that you've been washed by the blood of the Lamb, but there's some things I want to change. And when we have to like, okay, Lord, well, what are these things? But whatever it is that, that the Lord wants to do, he's never going to be finished in us until the day we go to be with him, right? And guess what? Paul says here, until that time, don't let that work stop. Don't quench the spirit. And, and let me break it down into a couple of ways because I think this is important. One for the unbeliever. The unbeliever doesn't quench the Holy Spirit. The unbeliever rejects the Holy Spirit. So, we, we, you know, to look at it in this way, when, a, when an unbeliever here, and an unbeliever, listen, is not somebody, there are plenty of unbelievers who believe in God, they believe in Jesus, but they haven't come to that place of accepting him as Lord and Savior. So when I say an unbeliever, it's a, somebody who has not opened their heart to the fact that they need Christ and that they need, they need, to, uh, they need to acknowledge that he is the Savior and that they're going to surrender their life to him. So there may be, Christian, or there may, excuse me, there may be people that go to church for years, but they never cross that threshold of acknowledging Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But they believe, but see, they're on the same ground as the devil because the Bible says that even the devil believes, but he's never going to surrender his life to the authority of Jesus Christ. He's been fighting him since he's been removed from heaven. And so in this place where an unbeliever comes, you say rejecting the Holy Spirit. Yeah, rejecting the Holy Spirit. Jesus taught on this in, in Matthew chapter 12. Let me read you a couple of verses to, clear, to bring clarity to. He says, Therefore I say to you, every sin and every blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit 
will not be forgiven men. Anyone who seeks a word against, uh, speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or the age to come. So the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, or the rejecting of the Holy Spirit, that is, is to reject the work that he's pointing you to. And then the, the work that he's pointing to you is this, that you're a sinner and you need a savior. And the only way that you can have your sins forgiven, and, and right, we all know that. Most of us in here have received that. Hopefully everyone in here has received that. But we come to the fact of, of seeing that Christ died. So the Holy Spirit comes alongside of you. He talks about this in the disciples. He was said he will come alongside. It's para in the Greek, which means that he's come alongside. He's saying, hey, you know what? The way that you're going isn't the way you should go. And maybe even as a young child or as a teen, they grow up in a church, but they've never come to make con that confession that, that they need Christ. So they're, in a sense, they're rejecting. They're not in a sense. They are rejecting the Holy Spirit because he wants to say, he comes alongside and says, I want to come in. I, I, Jesus died for you. Do you realize that? And well, but I want, I want you to surrender your life because that's what it's all about. It's about being born again, right? And so rejecting of the Holy Spirit. And this is, you know, this is what, uh, what happens when non-believers or, you know, just say non-Christians come to that place where they haven't received Christ. They're rejecting the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not what Paul is talking about here, but I want to make the point because if anyone is in here, I want you to identify, I don't want you to try and quench the Holy Spirit when you not even have the Spirit of God in you. I want you to understand you need to be born again and you need to come to Christ. And what the greatest gift that you can ever receive is that of being born again. You know, having your life renewed. And so what Paul is talking about here, although again, to make a point, he's talking about here about... Uh, believers. But let me, let me just touch on this for a second, because I think I never want to assume that everybody knows Jesus. I want to assume that people come here. I got, I went to church as an unsafe person, right? Somebody invited me to church. My brother invited me to church and I went down there and I listened to the message, made me cry the whole time, but I rejected the Holy Spirit. But listen, let, let me read you a point that I think Charles Spurgeon, he made, I thought it was really clear. He said in his little book, Around the Wicked Gate, uh, he mentioned a story, I feel it's fitting. He said there's two guys in a boat, and they're, they're, uh, they're boating over the Niagara Falls, but the boat turns over. And uh, both of these guys are in distress now because they're going to go over the falls. And it's not a good sign. So there were some onlookers out there that, that grabbed the rope, and they throw the rope within their reach, and the two men grabbed hold of the rope. And the, the person, the people on the shore, they started pulling this rope in, and they started bringing him to safety. And one of the men, they made, he made it to safety. He was cool with it. But the other man saw this large log floating nearby. And he let go of the rope and leaped onto the log. And he was swept over the falls to his death. Well, the spiritual applications are many. Listen, Spurgeon makes the point that for men to be saved, they needed to hold on to rope, the rope because the rope was anchored to the shore. Other, uh, or excuse me, our salvation in Jesus and no one else, because there is no other way of forgiveness and no other access to heaven, we must cling to Jesus to be saved. And the point is well made. But then again, I, I, you know, you start thinking about something, you think, well, why did he let go? Why did the guy let go? Was it because that he, his hands were hurting onto that rope? You know, they're hurting as they're pulling onto the rope. And it, or was it because that the, 
the log held this promise of, you know, being stronger than that little thin rope? Was he concerned with more than sinking than getting to shore? Was he, you know, what, what, what was it? Was this floating device, on the log that appealed to him? Or did he not like sharing the rope with his friends? What, what, would it, what was it? Oh, I don't know. But the immediate thing on earth seemed to be, seemed to hold more promise than the future hope of heaven. And yes, there are many speculations, but in each of them, we see this picture of fallen people of our, in our world, and they would rather float downstream, rejecting the only life preserver available to them in Jesus Christ. And, and, you know, in that they have destruction that takes hold and, and, and without them, you know, clinging on to Jesus, he's the only answer. And so that's why I take this, this life preserver and I throw it out on Sunday mornings and the, the people uh, that, that have been born again, they're saved. They know that the, the gospel message is true. And they look at it and they say, yes and amen. And they begin to pray for you. You see, there are, there, there are people that will just cling on to other things, hoping they'll get through life and hoping at the end they'll be okay. So if that's you this morning, there's your life preserver. It's only in Jesus Christ. But again, here, Paul is speaking to believers. Look at verse 12. He says, and we urge you, brethren. In verse 14, he says, now we exhort you, brethren. So contextually here, he's speaking to the church and he's encouraging them. Listen, he's encouraging you and I that in this manner of not allowing anything within our own power to quench the work that God wants to do in you. Don't do it. Don't, do not do it. I mean, it's, it's so important that God has a work and a plan he has for each of our lives and that we don't want to quench that work. We don't want to have anything in our lives that will quench that work. We're not allowing these things. We want God to move in our lives. And I'll tell you, for the believer, for a born-again Christian, there's two ways that where we can, you know, we can operate in our lives. There's the flesh and the spirit, Right? And it's scary for a Christian to, I mean, I've been there, and maybe you've been there, maybe you're there now, but I, I've been there, living my life in the power of the flesh, uh, you know, a life that God wants to live by the power of his Holy Spirit, that when we take things into our own hands, it's pretty scary, and we find ourselves frustrated, don't we? We're just frustrated, and we, you know, look at our lives, and we're not bearing much fruit, and we go, you know, what's going on? What's happening? And there are times when we get angry and we don't even know why. But oftentimes the underlying battle, it may be that we're not giving in to the Lord and the things that he wants to have done, the things that he's trying to get our attention that really need change, but we're not seeing those things. We're living in the flesh. And, you know, the flesh is in no competition to the spirit. So quenching the Holy Spirit many times comes when we, again, take things in our own hands. We take our lives into our own hands and we call our own shots or live in our own power. And it's, it's dangerous. So quenching means this, listen, or there's a spirit. We can live in the spirit. Quenching means this. It means to extinguish. It's just like a firefighter. He's going to battle. You see a fire out there. And, and he's going there with a determination to put that fire out. So this is in contrast to what you and I are to do. We're to, we're to let that fire in us burn. We're to let the fire, the power of the Holy Spirit burn within our lives changing us. Lord, whatever you see fit, that's what I'd like. That's what I want to do. And so when, when we see that firefighter putting out the blaze, I'm thinking, put that blaze out. I just had a pastor friend of mine just got noticed that down in Arizona, his house burned down to the ground. They just got out of the house. Was, and he thinks it was a, a fire or a heater of some sort or a fireplace. I don't, but, but he, had, he and his wife got out with nothing 
but their pajamas and one cell phone and one car. Everything else, totally gone. But as you and I as Christians, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to burn, not extinguish. Look, the minute you come to faith in Christ, you have light. You can see things a little differently, right? You vote a little differently. You're thinking, man, just, you live a little differently. And then things begin to change, and we don't want to extinguish that work. I don't know if you're like me. I've got a lot of work that he needs to do in my life. From the moment I came to Christ, next week, Tuesday, December 10th, December 9th, it'll be 30 years I've been walking with the Lord. you think he'd be done with me now. Hey, <laughs> so, hey, so, he's still working in my life, and he's still working in your lives. And the last thing that I want to do is bring things into my life, into my life to where he's quenched, where I'm quenching his wanting to work these things out in my life. And the same thing for all of us. And if we're not careful, we find ourselves taking that once bright light that burns ever so brightly for Christ and we turn it into a flicker. You know, and it's like, <laughs> I remember years ago they captured this picture of me. I'm trying to get this old Coleman lantern lit and I'm firing it up and it would spark for a second. It would go down, spark for a second, go down. And finally I threw the thing away. <laughs> but I threw it away into somebody's hands. They got it working again. And that's what we need to do at times. We need to relinquish in the one who can get it working again. And it's in Christ. That old lantern, man, it was a headache. But I tell you, that's what living our lives in the flesh is like. It's a headache. Because we're not living in the power of the Holy Spirit. And, we, and a lot of times we allow things in our lives to quench what God is doing. And God has this great plan for us. But, he, but we quench this thing off. And, and we don't want to see that. You know, I mean, you think of the things that come in the, into nowadays is liber, liberties. Our liberties are, become greater. And what they do is they wash ashore where the fire is burning. I mean, look at the things nowadays that Christians are into. It amazes me. You know, we, ha, we need something else other than Christ to take an edge off. Right? So now we're, we're having to pop a pill or we're having a drink or we're having a smoke, do a little blunt, whatever you want to call it. We're having to get into these things because Christ, you know, we're, well, we, I've got to get on my knees. It's easier just firing up, you know, something to bring some pleas to me. And because it's legal nowadays, we've washed ashore and we washed up the fire that once burned in our lives because now we were quenching that work because, well, now the, the drug or the alcohol or the websites or whatever it is that that's coming into our lives. And it's kind of turned that flame down into a flicker. And it's like, going, you know, you see the power almost going off in your home during a storm. It's like, it's like our lives sometimes, you know. And Paul here is speaking to the individuals, not just the church leadership. He's speaking to the church. And we're to be like a bunch of logs. And we're either logs that are either on fire for the Lord or we're set aside needing to be put back on the fire. And that's what he's saying, you know, don't quench that, don't quench the spirit, whatever it is that God wants to do. And you know what's, what's interesting is we know, you know and I know, we know what God wants to do in our lives. We know, there's no doubt. We don't have to go in, I don't have to come out here and come up with every list of things. So I hit every, no, we know. I know what God's working on in my life. And I know that the thing, some of the things that he wants me to relinquish, and I'm praying for those. God, help me to change this. Help me to relinquish this to you so it can just be changed. And think with me. Because what is the most common place or time when a Christian would quench the Holy Spirit? Right now. Is it not? Right now, in church. See, when we're hearing the Word of God, what do we do with it? 
when we hear Sunday after Sunday or Wednesday after Wednesday, and we hear the word of God going out, and God is wanting to speak to his children, he's wanting to speak to us, and he's wanting to have us, you know, acknowledge that and respond to it. But a lot of times we're just like, I'm so worried if I go up for prayer, I wonder what somebody would say to me. I mean, they're going to look at me think I'm a failure. We're all failures. We all need help. But what keeps us from getting to that place is we quench the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's like, I, we'll, we'll do so many other things. When God begins to speak to our minds or speak to our hearts, we'll do so many other things to kind of wash that thing out of our mind, right? That we'll, as long as I can get out that door, I'll be okay. And we've never accomplished those things. We, we carry around hurts. Right? We carry around hurts. We carry around pains. We carry around these sins that we think are, you know, they're, they're, they're not so bad for us. But, but the, what they're doing is they're quenching the Holy Spirit in our lives. And God offers us to have that river at flood stage. Like he said, he cried out, you guys are doing it all wrong. Speaking of John chapter 7 and verse 38, when they were walking up, the priest would walk up and pour the water out on the, on the rocks. And he said, this is all symbolic of what took place in the Old Testament. He says, man, all that stuff is symbolic, but I cry out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. I will pour out as a river at flood stages in your lives. I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You're speaking of the Holy Spirit. So the most common thing that I, I see in, in, in the church today is that we quench the Holy Spirit when God is speaking to our hearts. Now we begin to, you know, guard against our pride or we begin to build fences so that no one can see the privacy in our, in our yards or we, you know, lock the basement of our hearts to that which what Christ wants. We quench instead of embrace what God wants to do in our lives. We're quenching instead of embracing. We squirm. And then yet we'll put other things in our minds, as I'm mentioning, to get these things in our minds until we can put what he wants far from us. And the church today needs to be on fire or put back on the fire. And look at verse 20, because he says, do not despise prophecy. And this kind of goes hand in fist with what he's just talking about. Another way of quenching the Holy Spirit. See, prophecy is given in two ways. Foretelling of future events, kind of like what, Paul was writing here to the church. He told them of the rapture of the church. It was one of the things that he was talking about. Foretelling. And then there's foretelling. This is like Sundays and Wednesdays or, you know, you're getting the word of God being taught to you and it goes out and the Lord may be speaking to you. He says, don't despise that. Don't despise that God knows what you need. Don't despise that he wants to touch you and to minister to your hearts. And as his word goes out, it may be that he's warning us it might be that he's directing us. It might be that he's challenging us. And, it, it, and we're ne to never despise that. We're never to despise when the Lord, by his word, by the divine, dire uh, uh, by the divine direction of the Holy Spirit, is giving each of us what we need. We're not to despise that. We should be welcoming it. Listen, you're not going to find what is in here on any channel, HBO, CSNBC, uh, you know, my, my granddaughter was over at the house last night. I was watching just one of the regular local news channels. She goes, Poppy, what's that? And I go, it's the news. She goes, that is a depressing channel. <laughs> right? But, you know, usually they will, they'll watch a conservative channel at home. And I just had it on because I think one of the ball games were on or something. And she said, that is so depressing. Isn't it? 
You see, what God has for us is so rich and so true, and we need to be changed. You know, we come into a relationship with the Lord, and we don't have the things, and he's saying, look, look at, I will, if you're not going to search for it, then don't despise prophecy, because as prophecy is going out, as the word is going out, receive it. Don't despise it. Don't quench it. You know, you know, despise is kind of like ignoring. Don't ignore what I'm saying. Doesn't God want to speak to his people? Right? I mean, doesn't he have our best interests in mind? That he so desires us. He so knows our problems. He so knows our hurts. He so knows where we're at. And yet we despise that. We despise it or we ignore it at times. And we're like, wait a second. Remember when you were born again? I, I'll speak for myself. I remember the day I was born again. I'll never forget that. I pray I never forget that. But I remember the Lord forgiving me of every sin. And I was just so amazed. God, you are so good. You're going to forgive me of all that. And then you're going to begin this work. I had cried out to God before I was saved. God, you've got to do this work in me. You know, you've got, because I can't do it. And so as I began to hear the word of God and open up to that and respond to it. See, we hear good. We, we will teach good. We'll do all the things. But, but will we receive well and respond well? And that's the key that what he's saying here is that the church in Thessalonica or the church in Kelso, Washington, that matters not. He says, don't despise what I'm telling you. Don't despise prophecy. Prophecy is the, the foretelling of God's word. Don't despise it. And one of the main things that the church was, some in the church were despising here was the rapture of the church. Many Christians despise listening to and taking heed to the fact that he's coming again and it shows by the way they're living their lives. Well, yeah, okay, he's coming. Well, how are you living? Remember, we went through this again and we'll go through it through the second letter. Are we living in anticipation? I want to be on the fire, not in the fire. I want to be on the fire, right? I want to be that log that, Lord, what just consume me. Lord, speak to me. Lord, change me. Have your way with me. And, and despising prop, prophecy is, is despising what it is that the Lord is wanting to speak to us about. You know, we all need to hear what it is that God has to say to us, right? I mean, I want to know. He says, do not despise prophecy. And then look at verse 21. He says, test all things, hold fast to what is good. And this, to test brings the meaning of to approve, to discern or to examine. You and I should be discerning what we're taking into our lives. And it's not just, it's not, listen, it's not our approval, it's heaven's approval. It's not what we feel is adequate. Oh, this will kind of do. I kind of, yeah, it's all right. Listen, I don't want to do that. I might buy an inexpensive, some people say cheap car. I might buy an inexpensive car, but that's all right. I got my own life in jeopardy. <laughs> it breaks down, it breaks down, I get it. But I'm going to test all things. I, I want to make sure. Oh, it's got a $100,000 mile warranty. All right, I'll trust that, not the car. But I trust that it's going to be covered. But we want to test the things that we're taking in our lives. We fudge too much. We fudge too much. And when it comes to, you know, what we'll allow in our lives and what we won't allow in our lives. But listen, heaven has no discretion on, well, we'll, we'll kind of fudge it in there as well. We'll approve that. Yeah, it's okay, come on. Always, uh, again, my... My uh, granddaughter, uh, she was over, we were over for Thanksgiving dinner, and uh, she said, Bobby, I want another cookie. And I didn't know she was supposed to have one. And so I said, yeah, here, here's two of them. You can have two of them. And uh, she was going home that night. She wasn't staying with me. But, <laughs> but what I did at the end is I did the fist bump, and we made this little deal between you and I, right? 
listen, heaven's not like that. We, her, her mom and dad know I'm not keeping anything from them. They do now. But, <laughs> but what I'm saying is, listen, test all things. And, and look, we can't be fudging in. Heaven's not like that. Heaven's not going to give us a fist bump. It's okay. You know, it's not a cookie. There's stuff in our lives that, you know, we fudge too much on. And to be a person that we are to be a people that are required to test all things. It means that we're to hold, have a standard to hold it to. And what standard are you holding the things that you watch, the things that you do to? It should be right here, right? This should be the standard. If it doesn't pass the test, man, I don't want it in my life. I mean, I'm not trying to fudge it. We have a responsibility here. And the responsibility is for each of us to say, I want God more than I want this stuff. And I'm going to test this thing. I want to make sure that it's right. I want to make sure. And I'm going to hold fast to that which is good. I'm sure we all know people that have been burned by the church before, right? I mean, we have. I mean, who hasn't been hurt by the church before? I mean, look at, you know, two reasons why are listed here. One, they neglect to test all things. The other is to hold fast to that which is good. Remember just what happened in the late 90s. I think it was the late 90s. Might have been after that. The laughing and barking that would roll through the church. It was terrible. Nobody tested it. But they're saying this is a move of God when you got six graders and moms and dads laying out like they're drunk in a saloon somewhere and they're laughing and barking thing and nobody's testing it and they're just running rampant with this stuff people are flying down to pensacola florida instead of calling upon heaven when heaven wants to meet their needs right now they have to go somewhere and they have to get their needs met somewhere else it was a laughing a roaring movement prosperity false prophets today it's a nar or the new apostolic reformation they speak words that, that they say are from the Lord, but they're not approved. And when they come false, that they're not being tested. They're not like the old prophets. You, if you're a prophet, you want to call yourself a prophet. The minute that you are a false prophet, you know that your prophecy has not come true, you ought to be stoned. And I'm not talking with legalized marijuana. <laughs> you ought to be stoned with a barrel of rocks. You see, when, it, when the bad came around, and oftentimes identified and disguised as new. When the bad came around, they let, they let go of the good, Jesus. Everything that they look at, and they say, oh, look at this. They began Twitter painted, or oh, look at this. Aha, this ought to excite us. When they, when they would grab onto these new things of doctrine, this new wind of doctrine, the word of God, they let go of. And so there was no testing. And the church becomes at times like a fish you know, after a lure. And then, you know, we're, we're chasing things down and we chase after them and they've gotten caught up in these things that we should have never been associated with and it hurts people. And that's where people get hurt and then they wonder, where is God? How is God enacting? You know, what, 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 is he, what does he want of us? And we neglect to test things until it's too late. It's usually after families are broken up and marriages are on the binge, or they're, they're, they're troubled. Children are looking to drugs instead of Jesus. They're not testing all things. Listen, even today, when we have this, I, I don't know what's going on. We have people that are dancing through, waving flags during worship, drawing the attention away from God and putting on themselves. Listen, when little kids are doing things that are drawing attention to themselves, when they begin about 12 years old, they're going to start wondering when their friends are making fun of them. I remember this. I remember as an altar boy. I remember that my friends started, hey, man, you're an altar boy still. I was 13 or 14, 13 years old. You're an altar boy. I just started coming on me like, and, I, and it, wasn't, it wasn't true. I mean, you know, but, but these things happen. So you get this opposition against you. And if they don't know how to worship in the service, 
then what's going to happen? Where do they go from waving flags and jumping around and laying on the floor and doing cartwheels to where they come into here? And we're trying to worship the Lord. We're trying to be right about God. And then they leave because they're embarrassed about, they never have been taught the truth about how to worship the Lord and what the importance is of worshiping the Lord. You see, when it comes down to Christianity and how we're to live our lives, we need to test all things. Test what I say. Test the things that go forth from this pulpit. Test them. And then listen, in view of the danger, each of us needs to test that what we hear is being taught and compare it by the word of God. And we hold that word of God up there and that we're making sure that this is the plumb bob to our lives. Listen, don't let the church or hurtful experience keep you out of church. Test all things. You know, some people have left the church because they've been hurt. Listen, you don't cut your headache, your head off because you have a headache. Don't cut off the church because you've been hurt once. And nor let the pain keep you from having that rich relationship with the Lord. And he says, hold fast to what is good. You see, what, what do you have that is good? You have the word of God. Our, in our studies through Jeremiah, it, it kind of proves to us a sense of, of Judah and, and in the sixth chapter, verse 16, we've seen this. The Lord had said, it says, thus says the Lord, stand in the, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it and you'll find rest for your soul. So he's telling them, look, I want you to, I want you to go back to what, is, what you need to go back to. It's like the word of God is so rich and so real. He says, you're going to find rest for your souls. But it says the very next part of that verse says, but they said, we will not walk in it. God is trying to direct them. Hold fast to what is good. The word of God is, is the greatest thing that we could ever have. We have the word of God accompanied by the Holy Spirit, and we need to stick to that. And they were told, go back to that things for ask for the old ways. I don't need anything new to please me. I don't need the next new wind of doctrine to, to, to get me Twitter pated and, and, and whatever, get me excited about Jesus. I have his word. I have the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that excites me. And I want to hold fast to that. I want to know that it is God's word. And, it, and listen, you, you get these things to where people will go, well, this is the next fastest growing church. And I get these things in the mail all the time. You want to grow your church? You want to make it fast? I said, no. I want, unless he who builds the house is the Lord, he who labors, labors in vain. It doesn't matter how big a church is. It matters the heart of, of God's people towards himself. It's not the size of the church. It's the size of our hearts towards him. And so listen, Judah refused to walk in the ways of the Lord and they were paying a price for it. They were captive. They were living in, uh, they were being chastened. And we need to hold fast to the teaching of the word of God for our lives. And then look in verse 22, he says, abstain from every form of evil. I want you to underline that. You can underline it in the person next to you. And if they have an electronic Bible on a phone, throw it up against the wall. It'll underline the crack in it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Abstain means to hold oneself off or to refrain, refrain from every form of evil or even the appearance of it. You and I as Christians, again, we're to be light into this world. We're to be light. And God has no part of sin and neither should we. And so he's saying, abstain from every, whatever the Lord is calling it in your life and in my life, whatever is not of the Lord. And you know what it is. Don't travel there. Don't go there. He says, get rid of it. It doesn't matter how well we try and dress it up and pretty it. We might even call it ministry. Ooh, I'm doing this for ministry's sake. And that's not what the Lord calls you to. Then don't do it. Then, you know, it's like missionary dating. 
for young people or for people that are out there that want to, you know, be married. And they say, well, they don't know the Lord, but I'm going to hang out with them. I'm going to marry them and they'll come to Jesus. Wrong. You look at, you're tempting yourself. You're tempting the Lord because the Lord says, don't marry that which is unequally yoked. Don't have relationship with it. You know, there's friendship that we're to have. I think we're to have friendship in the world, but we're not to have fellowship with the world. We need to make sure that we're bright lights in a dark world. So we're to be out there and have that friendship and have that but to have fellowship, be breaking bread with one another and, you know, singing kumbaya with one another. It's a whole different story. And so listen, he says, abstain from every form of evil. If there's an area that you would invite Jesus to, then I would abstain from doing it or going there. I abstain from or keep from it. And then look at the fifth thing he says in verse 23. Freedom to completely sanctify. Listen, he says, now may the, the God himself of peace sanctify you completely. This is the work that God wants to do. Sanctify you com completely and may your whole, this is the three parts of man, spirit, soul, and body, be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who, is, who will also do it. So th listen, this is something that each of us needs to do. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to sanctify us. That's what he wants. So to sanctify us is to change us. It's just to, when the word of God and the Holy Spirit come alongside, you go, wake up, I got something for you today. I don't appreciate this in your life. And we need to open up to that. And we need to say, you know what, Lord, if that's what you, the way you see things, that's the way I'm going to see things. I'm going to agree with, with you on this. And again, in verse 23, look at what it says. He says, sanctify you completely so that he may be, that we, we may be uh, preserved blameless at the coming. He's got a goal. He, you know, sometimes we may not give our kids dessert or, you know, we're just little tired and we won't want to clean up another mess or whatever it might be. And so we're just holding back blessing from them, right? Maybe it's me again. Okay, so anyway, but God doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He wants to, he has a goal in mind to sanctify us, to set us apart, to change us, to, you know, we've been born again, we've been washed out to create in us, give us good habits, good thinking, good mindset, and all these things so that our completeness, the body, soul, and, and spirit, when we come to him, that we'll be preserved blameless. I mean, there's a lot going on. There's influences in the world out there and, and it's trying to influence us on a daily basis. And so we got to come to God and we got to say, you know what, work in this. I've gotten a lot of that this week. I've gotten a lot of the world. I've gotten a lot of the things out there. I've got a lot of stuff that have come into my mind and all this stuff. And so what Paul is telling his, his readers is that we would be preserved blameless or having no, limita uh, having no legitimate ground for accusation is what it means. Now people aren't going to look at you. They're saying, you know what? Well, I just go to the bar because I like 7-Up. And they see you coming out of the bar. You're sharing with that guy at church, that gal at church. They got a problem with alcohol, but you were sharing with them at church. Yeah, you're right. You shouldn't be there. But he's saying you shouldn't even be at the bar because of that sense. Well, I go there to witness. Well, invite them over for dinner. Invite them over, you know, out to dinner, whatever. But the, the whole thing here is that you should be preserved blameless. So when, when people watch our lives, look, our lives are in a fishbowl. Messages are being recorded all the time. I mean, the, the, the eyes of the world, the, the enemy is listening in to what's being taught here. He doesn't like it. But we have to look at it and we have to say, you know what, what is it that I want? What, what, how is my Christian life? How am I to live that life and have it preserved? Have it, am I allowing the Holy Spirit to be 
to have his way so I'm sanctified completely that he's in that mode or have I quenched the Holy Spirit? Have I quenched him? See, we're being put on display, but what what was the world looking at? I know that we're being monitored. That's why I unplug Alexa. That's one person I can't stand. If your name is Alexa, I love you, but by that Alexa and that little thing got a cord attached to the 110, are you kidding me right now? So listen, listen to what Paul says here in verse 25. He says, pray, brethren, pray for us. Can I encourage you to pray for your church leadership? Please pray for us. Verse 26, he says, greet all uh, the brethren with a holy kiss. It's a cultural thing. We really protect people around here. And we can use a holy handshake or a sideways hug if and when permissible. <laughs> Verse 27, uh, I charge you that by the Lord that uh, this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. So I've lived up to my end of the deal. And in verse 28, he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Listen, all of these things are linked together and they show responsibility. Number one, do not quench the Holy Spirit from working in your life. Do not despise prophecy. God's speaking to you. Test all things. Is it true? Is it not true? Hold fast to what is good. Are you holding fast on to the word of God? And abstain from every form of evil. And as we close, you know, I just, I, I want to encourage you. Now, I'm going to ask you, how many of you, just a show of hands, can use a fresh work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Right? Look at this. Fresh. And that, that's what he wants to do with us. He never wants to stop working. We're the ones that quench him from working. And we should be crying out to him, God, Help me, please, because I want that work. I don't want, I want to be on the fire, not in the fire in a sense. You know what I mean? I want to, if I'm that log that is, I need to be in the fire. I need to be burning bright. And and I need that. And if we sense that we haven't done that today, I, I want to encourage you to cry out to God and say, Lord, help me, please. Help me, please, to cry out that I don't want to quench the work that you want to do in my life. I don't want to quench that at all. Father, we thank you for your work, for your love, and for your grace. We hope you've enjoyed spending this time in God's Word, and our prayer is that you'll take it with you and apply it to your life. If you'd like to learn more about Calvary Longview, visit our website at cclongview.com. While you're there, you can find more teachings, request prayer, or even find out how you can get involved with what God is doing in our city. We hope you have an amazing day. We'll see you back here next time. And remember, Jesus loves you, and so do we.